Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Revenue Integrity Show, Anari podcast. Today's topic is data-driven denial prevention, new tactics to halt old finger pointing. For those of you who I haven't had the pleasure of interacting with yet, my name is Jacqueline Fitzgerald, and I'm the director of NARI. NARI is the National Association of Healthcare Revenue Integrity. And if you haven't had a chance to head over to our website and see what we're all about, you can find us online at nari.org, N-A-H-R-I.org. We've got a lot of past episodes of the podcast over there, as well as across uh, various streaming platforms like iTunes and Google Play. Um, so if you are looking to catch up on what we've been up to in the past few months or over the last year or so, um, I, we certainly recommend that you do that. The last episode that we aired live was on July 15th, so that is up for streaming now. And the topic we discussed that day was life after the pandemic. What are employees looking for? And now I'll introduce you to my guests for today. Shannon Case is the Managing Consultant with Baker Tilly. Shannon, thanks so much for being on the program. Thank you, Jackie, for having me. Absolutely. Happy to have you with us. And joining myself and Shannon, we have Geneva Schlaback, co-founder and CEO of Vispa. Geneva, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Jackie. Absolutely. So before we go ahead and get into today's discussion, I uh, always like to have a couple of association reminders for all of you. So we will be heading into the second year long term of the NARI Leadership Council. If you're not familiar with the Leadership Council, uh, this is a, an exclusive uh, group of revenue integrity and revenue cycle leaders in the uh, healthcare setting hospitals, healthcare systems, critical access, and so forth. Um, this is a great networking group and there is no cost to join this. Um, all we ask is that when you apply, you be currently holding a revenue integrity or revenue cycle leadership position, um, as that is the focus of our discussions. So we have um, some specific news and resources for this uh, group of folks. Um, and we also do um, some in-depth research and analysis. We release a series of reports throughout the year um, and host roundtables as well as larger group meetings um, to have some peer-to-peer -peer networking and really get some um, some great thoughts and, and action items out there in the industry to keep things moving forward. Um, so if you head over to the NARI website under our networking and events tab, there is a link to learn a bit more about the council. Um, if you just click on that tab under that drop down, you'll find the NARI Leadership Council link, and that'll take you over to where our application is located. Um, all of this information will be in the episode of the podcast as well, um, so that you can stream that online later if you had any questions about a couple of things we covered here today. Um, so current members, if you are currently a member of the council and you're interested in joining us for a second term, um, we do ask that you reapply, as we don't want to just assume that folks still maintained their uh, uh, healthcare system, revenue cycle, revenue integrity leadership position, um, and are interested in hanging on with us for another year. Uh, really great, great way to meet folks from across the country and connect though, so I certainly encourage you to apply. Uh, we also have our next virtual event coming up just around the corner, August 17th through 18th. The Revenue Integrity Symposium is NARI's annual event. Uh, typically we are live, we've gone virtual this year. 
Um, and this is one of the largest virtual events that we have hosted over the last year or so. Um, we have two tracks at this event, so it's twice the opportunity for education. Um, it's not a full day, so um, you know it does offer you a little bit of flexibility in terms of your work schedule or anything else that you have going on. We'll start around 11 a.m. Eastern each day and then end around 5 p.m. Eastern. Um, this is a really fantastic event that we've got planned. I'm super excited about the platform that we're using because it does have uh, video and text chat capabilities to allow for networking. We've got a virtual exhibit hall over there for you um, and a ton of great information to get you ready for the remainder of this year and heading into next year. One of the great things about this event is that we're going to make sure that you get your IPPS OPPS final rule education later in the year when those rules come out. So as soon as we schedule our annual update rules, the registrants for the symposium will automatically be registered for these webinars. So it's really a nice full suite of updates and regulatory insight and best practices. All right, and so without further ado, I am going to start chatting with Shannon and Geneva. Um, so the first thing we wanted to talk about today, uh, finger pointing is pretty common in the healthcare revenue integrity and revenue cycle space, um, especially with payer denials. So where does it most commonly occur? Well, I can start that one, Geneva. Um, so, I mean, across the board, it's, it's every department within the revenue cycle, we find that there's a lot of finger pointing, especially when it comes down to payer denials. Nobody wants to take the blame for that. I mean, let's be honest, nobody wants to sit back and say, yeah, that's my fault. Um, no, that doesn't typically occur. Um, so anyways, we don't like to take that responsibility for those denials, especially when these denials are preventable and avoidable and end up being written off which then you have your loss of revenue and your cost of collect goes up higher. Absolutely, and Shannon, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think it is, like you said, human nature to assume that a problem we see is someone else's fault. <laughs> and I would like to suggest that, you know, by, and we'll get into this in a little bit here, but by um, really digging down into where the denials really are coming from, um, we, if we can begin to look at the actual problems and eliminate, uh, kind of not look at the people that it's coming from, um, really at the end of the day, it's not about, you know, who is right as much as it is what is right. And so I think, you know, it's across the board. I, I think typically, you know, the follow-up staff, uh, they, they see, they deal with the results of the denials, right? And so it's easy for them to think, well, we're seeing the same issues over and over again. And, uh, you know, whether that be from a, a billing and coding perspective or patient access. And so I think, I think taking the finger pointing out of the process and just simply uh, having a much more collaborative environment would go a long way in helping to solve a lot of the issues. I agree with you, Geneva. Absolutely, and I think those are really nice points that you made, um, both of you, but Geneva, something that kind of struck me is when you said it's not so much who got it wrong, but where did it go wrong? So if we're looking more at the data and trying to figure out that where, how can folks in the RevCycle, RevIntegrity space look at their data, kind of stop all of that finger pointing, and then establish some new denial prevention processes so that these denials aren't occurring in the future time and again? 
Sure. And, you know, one of the things that I would say is that something that I've seen in just providers that I've worked with is that it's easy to kind of silo data to certain departments. And I would like to suggest that what if that data was available across the board to everybody, everyone from patient access to billing and coding to follow up, um, so that everyone is looking at the same problems through the same lens and, and then coming together to establish like a new way or to really use the data to determine, you know, I think so many times that when we go to problem solve something, it's easy to look at what is just in front of us. And sometimes if we can dig all the way down to those root cause issues, we see things in a way that we don't see when we're looking at it from kind of a, a more general high level, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree with that as well. I think everyone needs to be exposed regardless of what department that you're in within the revenue cycle. Yeah. I, I you know, another thing that I think is helpful with that is it, it's just getting everyone on the same page. Um, and, you know, there are multiple pieces. I think we all can agree that, you know, there's no one easy answer to any of this. <laughs> You know, denials are something that, you know, most of the time we know what those common denials are. But we live in a constant changing world where, you know, payers are making adjustments, things are changing. And so if but if we can rely on our data to help make those informed decisions about really where to look for the problem, um, I think that goes, you know, a long way for sure. And, and, and I think too, you know, and this is coming from somebody who's in a technology company. Um, I say technology is part of the solution, but people are part of the solution. And, and I think you can't have one without the other. Great. Yeah, and I do sort of love that idea of getting everybody involved in data and understanding it and having that access to it. So for following along with those lines, what specific types of data should folks be looking at and be considering most important um, to their denial prevention process? And then what does that drill down capability uh, look like there? So I think, um, Geneva, <laughs> sorry. Um, I think that the types of data that are really important is really your everyday data that you're receiving that you don't realize has the benefit to or has the intelligence to show you like what what you have in front of you being your 835s your 837s your your rejections from your your scrubbers like there's so much data that you already have in front of you it's being having the ability to take that data and do something with it right and you know one of the things we find in one of the our solutions is that having the ability to clearly see that day in and day out um, and it almost serve as an early alarm for trends that you see among certain types of payers or um, you know certain CPT codes or whatever it might be having really measurable things that you can see you know I was talking recently with um, with a, an executive, uh, used to be an executive at a large system. And one of the things he told me was, 
Uh, he said he wishes he would have easily had access to just 835 data to really serve as an early alarm for uh, issues that by the time they got to his door as an executive, they were you know, big problems. <laughs> Whereas if they would have had access to a dashboard that could easily allow drill down capability to like line item detail and payer specific detail, um, it would have solved a lot of problems that were small at one time, but then became large. And so I think that is one of the big, the big benefits of that drill down capability is it does allow you to look at things at a level that um, really can solve something much, uh, much sooner than later. Because we all know a day, you know, every day counts in revenue cycle. So every day that we are not taking action proactively on something is a day lost. And it's often a day that, you know, cash is delayed coming in the door. And from a leadership standpoint, um, you know, executive standpoint, that's that's a really big deal. And 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 I think that's probably the pressure that, you know, revenue cycle leaders feel on any given day is that pressure to keep things moving as quickly as possible. Don't think really I great point. that went up any better. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have anything you wanted to add there, Shannon? No, I think she did an amazing job with that one. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Geneva. Um, no, and I, re I really do enjoy what you said about being able to drill down in that because you think about how fast-paced a hospital is. Um, things are moving quickly. You're trying to get those claims out the door within a certain time frame um, mm -hmm. and really having more people, more eyes on those um, claims to be able to spot something, especially as you said, at the executive level, and not just to look at it and say, okay, this was denied, but why was it denied? Where was the issue? Um, so if we're looking at getting everybody a seat at the table and having them drill down into um, certain line items on the claims, then how are we moving forward with those changes? Because I think it's easy to have processes in place and, and just accept that as the norm and keep kind of moving forward um, with your day-to-day -day and your workflow and your responsibilities. But if we really want to maximize that database intelligence and gain staff buy-in, what are some of the best ways to go about that? You know, I would say um, one of the things that we have found is just um, one of our technologies that we've seen uh, kind of big results from is number one, let's let's get people let's get to tracking what is actually happening from a follow-up standpoint. And when you can when you can track the denials that you're already working in, and you can begin to see. Um, what has happened leading to that denial, it gives you a lot of insight into um, what are the things that, you know, that you do need to change. So I think, you know, number one, high level is the dashboards, but then taking it a step further, let's, let's actually begin tracking at another level what the staff is doing in those, you know, in working those denials. And I think it gives a lot of insight into where uh, where we can make changes, and I'll I'll just give you an example. Recently, we were uh, on site at one of our clients, and we met with with every department within Revenue Cycle. So we met with the follow up staff, we met with billing and coding, and we met with the patient access teams. 
And one of the things we saw was that um, as we kind of all had them in the room was the conversation, you know, between the follow-up staff and then each of the other departments was they were seeing a, there's a lot of a growing frustration on the follow-up side to where things were coming from. But by using, you know, the technologies that are available and, you know, whatever it is that, that you all might be using, um, if you can track the more you can track, the more insight that you have. And so, you know, I think the more detailed that you can get with the tracking, the better. At least that's what we are seeing. And I think opening the door to those discussions, um, it was really cool to see all of them have that interaction and realize that maybe they don't know as much about each of their departments as what they think they do. And I think sometimes that is also where some of the rub comes um is that maybe there's not a great understanding between all of those departments as to what actually happens um and and because of that there's there's a lot that kind of uh goes by the wayside yeah i agree with you geneva and also to be proactive in, in observing what you have for denials too going in the back door like you said starting from the back end and gathering that data first and analyzing that data to where did the process breakdown occur for this denial to occur? Yeah. And again, probably circles back to the beginning of our conversation with the finger pointing. Our back end folks tend to see this more often where they're the ones saying, well, this is where it's coming from, but yet somehow it doesn't get communicated all the way to the place that it needs to be. Man, you are so right, Shannon. Um, that is something that that I've seen a lot as well. And I think that's another reason. And Jackie, to your point, I like the term that you use of giving everyone around, giving everyone a seat at the table. And, you know, as leaders, I believe it's our job to model what we want to see in our people. And I think the more that revenue cycle leaders can have a seat at the table collectively, um, when we collectively look at a problem, we also collectively can solve it. And um, I think as far as being proactive, I think that's a great place to start. Great. So now that we've kind of talked about the finger pointing and what sort of things people can drill down to, um, what do you think are some of the um, best practices for an organization or a department that's working to build out a successful denials prevention program? Like where are they starting um, and what sort of things do they need to think about so that this runs smoothly um, and works effectively? Sure. I can start, Geneva. Um, identifying process breakdowns and barriers. And when I when I initially thought of this question, um, recently something occurred with me where I was with a client, and really what we found was they had a tremendous volume of front end denials. And so to identify what, what was the issue? What happened? We have to identify the process breakdowns and those barriers on the front end in this example. So what was stopping the staff from ensuring that they even had a clean claim? Well, what we did recognize with this client was that almost all of the process breakdowns that occurred in this patient access environment were workflow related. 
examples of these process breakdowns were like not performing insurance verification and eligibility prior to a scheduled business or a scheduled a scheduled visit um not obtaining proper authorizations that was another one where their authorization denials were so high and this is primarily due to not having the tools needed um, to obtain the proper responses so it's just not not just the knowledge base but it's also the tools that you need to gain these these um I don't know what you want to call them, the, the feedback that you need to generate a clean claim. And I think also what prevents the staff from ensuring that it's a clean claim that goes out is the lack of understanding how the wrong action taken can negatively impact the outcome of a clean claim. Um, and this is typically due to the lack of exposure to your analytic data results. For example, um, analytic tools can quickly identify like the denial root causes and workflow breakdowns that are seldomly communicated to the team members. In this case, again, it was patient access. Uh, denial prevention and management require staff flexibility to change and make corrective actions to workflows and workflow related tools. Yeah, Shannon, you those are those are such good points, and and I think I I would just say you know one of the things that came to mind when you were talking about um, just having the solutions and the tools available is I think sometimes even in some of what we've seen um, they may have tools that they're using, um, and and maybe at one point they were great tools, and I think you know, we live in such a rapidly evolving uh, and challenging world where where there's just more and more available. Sometimes it's hard to know, like, what should I have or what shouldn't I have? And what you get used to and what maybe worked at one time maybe isn't effective anymore. And I think, I think you know, we've touched on that, uh, you know, as I look at question five, even establish new processes and policies to ensure clean claims. Um, and have zero tolerance for non-compliance. I think, you know, there's there's a lot to be said about um, a new way of doing things. And I know, you know, in within revenue cycle, often uh, new and changes are not welcome words <laughs> always. But I think if we can if we can ensure people that it it's not just new technology, but it is also the people side of things is just so important. And um, I think those new processes, um, I'll give you an example. One of the clients actually that Shannon and I both worked with, um, uh, we implemented one simple, uh, we implemented eligibility um, checks for them. And um, the, the, the result from that was, was invaluable. It was huge. And that was just one thing that we did to address some of those denials issues that we saw um, that really had a huge and and just as another to piggyback onto that they were spending you know we cut their workload in half by automating their eligibility checks mm -hmm. um, you you talk about a big time saving um, that that's a big deal agreed and then also to as we kind of jumped around on your slide and I apologize for that but um, when we think through like establishing new processes and policies, really establishing new um, processes and policies builds that bridge to becoming successful and sustainable. 
So the approach will keep the organization on track with preventing front end avoidable denials, developing robust analytics, integrating workflow technology, and team member education will definitely ensure the success. And again, to stress what Geneva did too, like non-compliance to any new workflow just shouldn't be tolerated. Stop the stop the workarounds and make them hold them accountable for these changes. You know, Shannon, we we had a client who, um, you know, speaking of holding staff accountable. Um, I believe you know strong leadership within revenue cycle is so so important. And we had a we had a client that we were working with um, that we come to find out there were some leadership changes, there were some things happening, and um, they were using workarounds. They were they had new technology implemented. Um, you know the technology is is uh, you know producing amazing results. Uh, in some places, but uh, you know the workarounds were being tolerated. So, and what I mean by workarounds is going back to how we've always done it. Right. <laughs> and, the path of least resistance. Right, right. <laughs> and interesting thing, um, leadership kind of got you know, reestablished, and um, it's been really interesting to see how by holding staff accountable and not tolerating those workarounds, their numbers are increasing. <laughs> in the best of ways. So their revenue is increasing, the, their cash days on hand is increasing. And, and just all that to say that when, you know, going all the way back to the beginning of what we talked about today, that when we can focus people in on the same common goals and, and remember that at the end of the day, um, we need to get money in the door as quickly as possible. And we want to have efficiency and effectiveness. And, um, you know, by not tolerating workarounds, we we can certainly uh, keep everybody on the same page and moving in the same direction, um, which is which is a big a big deal in in a very complex you know environment like the revenue cycle. Right. Well, this has been fantastic. I love hearing about how passionate both of you are about denials prevention, and I appreciate you taking the time to share all of that knowledge with myself, um, with all of our podcast listeners. Um, thank you so much, Shannon and Geneva, for joining us today. Um, you are welcome back on the show with us anytime. We'd be happy to have you, and uh, definitely appreciate you spending some time with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for having me, Jackie. Absolutely. Um, so the next live episode that we have coming your way is on August 12th, so stay tuned for that. Uh, in the meantime, as I mentioned earlier, you can catch up on past episodes up on nari.org backslash podcast or across your favorite podcast streaming platform. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in, and an extra special thanks to Geneva and Shannon for their insight today. We'll see you soon. <laughs>